What's happening, Dadhood? Welcome to the show. I've got Kevin Montgomery on the show today. I'm extremely excited for y'all to listen to his episode, get to know Kevin better, and ultimately learn more about being the best version of yourself. So sit back, listen up, Dadhood. Let's go. Kevin Montgomery, thank you so much for joining the show, my friend. I'm excited for this episode. Oh my God, Thomas, this is my pleasure. I'm I'm so thrilled that you asked me and I just can't wait to uh, to dive in and have some fun here. Excellent. So Kevin, for the listeners, let's give a little backstory. Tell, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, okay. So I'm a 66-year-old gay man that, um, that met my now husband uh, 40 years ago. So it was way back when. And we met on a blind date. And he moved in 10 days later, and we've been together ever since. So that was kind of a wonderful love story. So that's that's that part. And then I was a kind of a, 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 a musical theater wannabe. I kind of, I was a, a kid, an acting kid growing up, a musical guy. And so I had worked on that off and on. And my husband, my now husband had a CPA firm, so he was very stable. And I was just trying to do my thing. So Somehow I ended up in Vegas in kind of a bad lounge act and uh, was doing that. And I thought, I I just, if this is success, I don't want this anymore. So I left and came back to LA to where we live and trying to figure out what I was going to do. So in one week, miraculously, three different sets of friends said, you know, you should, you should, guys should have a baby. You should think about being parents. And the first one, I kind of went, yeah, thank you. That's very cute. (laughs) The second one, I went, "Um, wow, okay, that's interesting. And the third one, I said, somebody is speaking to us. The universe at large has made some kind of request. So I knew that this was important. And somehow that third time, it ignited something in me. And I thought, "I, I want this. I want a child. So we said, let's discuss it. And, and Dennis was a little more uh, interested, but hesitant. And so what we discussed it and, and we said, okay, let's try it. So we decided we were going to go about trying to get as um, related to us as possible a child. So we went to his sister and asked for an egg. And she immediately said yes. And um, then we tried to figure out someone, she was a single and didn't have any kids. So it would be like giving away her firstborn. So we didn't want her to carry the baby. Mm -hmm. So we decided we needed to find someone for that. Um, So we kind of made all these lists and came up with one person, which was my 45 year old cousin and uh, that lived in Oklahoma. So, and we called her and she miraculously said yes. So through this whole process, through several IVFs, um, in 1993, our daughter Chelsea was born, and it's been a miracle ever since. It's the best thing we ever did. It's the greatest joy of our lives, and now she's 29 years old and married. So um, it's so so that's the story. That's the background. That's how I ended up where I am right now. So yeah, Kevin, there's so many directions to go with this. I absolutely <laughs> first and foremost, I love yeah. this, and I'm was, so excited to dive thank into. Thank you. So, so when you said you said 40 years with is it Dennis? Is that your husband? Yes. Yes, so exactly. When, and you said um and you were saying recently married. When when did you two become married? Ah, well, for us, 40 years recent is about 15 years okay. ago. So it was okay. two, it was it was 2008 and it was that oh. Chelsea was um 
our daughter was 15 at the time and she kept bugging us. She wanted us to get married. And we kept saying, we've been together so long. We don't care. It's like, we don't need a government stamp. You know, we just weren't kind of pushing for it, but for her, it was very important. And now I realize it for her, it gave her a belonging. It made her, her family normal. It made her family like everyone else. And it, for her, it was very important. So there was a window in 2008 where the, the California Supreme court said, that we same-sex marriage uh, could happen, mm-hmm. but w- there was a prop on the bill that was going to uh, disallow it in November in 2008. So we had a window. Yeah. So she said, "If you're going to do it, you got to do it now." So in six weeks, we put together a, a lovely <laughs> wedding, and yeah. that's when we got married. So we, we we and then Prop Eight happened, and it was you know at that point then the, it went into law that you couldn't be married, but they didn't know what to do with us. So. They said, well, we can't say you can't be married. They didn't know what to do. So anyway, so that was exactly when we were legally married was in 2008. Oh, I love that so much. So thanks. when when you said that, and this is three different individuals came to you and said, you should have a baby, right? Yes, yes. And yes. You, it, like, what time frame are we talking here? Like between the yeah. first one and the third one? It was, it was all in one week. Oh so my it goodness. was... Yeah. So it was like maybe on a, I, I don't know exact day. So I'm making this up as theater, yeah. but um, <laughs> so maybe on a Tuesday, I think it was a guy that worked at Dennis's office and he just said, Oh my God, you guys have such a great relationship. You should be parents. And we kind of, well, that's sweet, you know? And then maybe it was maybe two days later on maybe Thursday, um, let's say um, somebody else said it. And that was kind of shocking. That was kind of weird. On the, the I, I know it was on a Sunday. We were having a Sunday brunch at our house with these clients of ours. And it was this lady that had been a client since before I had known Dennis for of his. And she was from South Africa. And she was kind of this kind of anti-mame sort of character. And she just slapped her hands down on the table and said, darling, this house needs a child. Oh, my goodness. And so that was like, it was like lightning bolts. It's like, okay something is up and i you know and i believe in all of kind of the universe and and all of those spiritual kind of little beings like um kind of supporting us and so i said this is a message this is something and and not only that i i I logically thought something i internally all of a sudden Mm -hmm. that was like something that shot through me and i said this is something you know i want to do so And that's where I was going to kind of go with this, because even when you telling the story, because I'm with you, I believe the universe, there's so many powers and stuff, just you telling the story, like I I feel it, right? I can can feel Uh it. It's that charge. And I I call that that. the truth, right? I always like, that's the truth. Exactly. So, so once that happened and that logical shift, like you said, was like, okay, that transition, then what was like your thought process? Like, how did it move from that point? Yeah. So we went, so we were going on a trip. We were driving to, we have a house in Washington state. So we decided we were on a driving trip, but maybe a week later. So we said, let's talk about it on the trip. So we were barely to like the Valley, which is like 45 (laughs) minutes. And I said, and I was like, Dennis, we need to talk about this. It's like, we need to talk about this. So I said, you know, should we do this? And it, it was really pretty quick. And he just said, yeah, let's try it. So it was like very fast. And on that trip, so when we got to the destination, that's when we said, let's call his sister. And we called her and she immediately said yes. The same day, we called my cousin and kind of laid it out and said, this is what we would like to do. And she immediately said yes. So that was, um, I think, the end of April. And we had our first attempt in June. So 
Yeah, so it was the whole thing happened very, very quickly. And we had to put together all the players. Like we, I called, I cold called UCLA and different places that had IVF clinics. And they were, well, we've never done this before um, for a gay couple. We're not sure how this will work, uh, but, but you have to find a doctor that's willing to do it. And I said, well, do you have any like any uh, ideas or any you know recommendations and they said well they gave me a list of a few people um and i called all those doctors and said you know left messages basically and one called me back almost immediately they said yeah we're willing to do it so i called ucla back and they i said i have a doctor and they said okay if you have a doctor they said but we have to go by um to our board to get approval because they said at the time they were afraid they'd lose funding because if the the religious right got a hold of it, they might shut them down. So they said, you cannot go public. You cannot talk about this, but we would be willing to do it for you. So that started the process. So, so that was, you know, maybe the first of May. And then it just took getting my cousin getting, I mean, there was just processes like the, that we all had to go through psychoanalysts, you know, to make sure that we're all sane. And my cousin and my sister-in-law had to go through doctors to make sure that they it was viable and all that kind of stuff. So we had the first, then it was, uh, that was probably May. And then by June, we had our first um, IVF transfer. No, Kevin, what, man, I hear this and I'm just like, this is, it's hard for me to, to process things like mm-hmm. that, that, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that it just, it doesn't, it doesn't speak to my heart when I hear stories like that, because this is a moment where you should be able to share this message with anybody in the world that you want to share. It right. With, you know, and right. and you almost were being told by these professionals mm-hmm. that you need to keep this under wrap while yeah. while working so hard to navigate all the parts. Sure. Right? Sure. I think. You know, I think it wasn't unusual for us. Listen, we grew up in a time, I mean, you know, the 50s and 60s, when I didn't even know gay, I didn't want to be gay. If that was, you know, although I knew something was up from the time I was very little. But so I think we were used to this kind of, um, you know, kind of dissension or kind of judgment. So I think it wasn't unusual for us. I think it, it just is, it was part of the process. I mean, you know, and look, and it's like a slow, it's a glacier you know, this movement, you know, and I have this, you know, I have this internal um, kind of heartfelt feeling that we will eventually move all in a much more loving, kind way. But I understand it's a process. And so, you know, if I look back where we are now compared to where we were, lots of progress has been made. And now there's a lot of steps back. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it is a journey. But what, but I think the comfort I get is that I know myself, I know my husband. I know my kids. My I have one daughter and I and our son-in-law. We call our kids. Okay. But <laughs> I, and and that's what's important. I know the hearts of the people that matter to me. Yes. And that's where I I find comfort. So it, anybody outside can say whatever. I listen. I have a evangelical born again Christian sister that we've struggled with my entire life. That I've struggled our relationship that has many judgments about who I am and what I'm going to do. So I, it's, it's not unusual for me to have to deal with that kind of thing. And I understand it, but it's also, if I'm really going to be unconditionally loving, um, you know, I really have to be unconditional with her. I realized I was judging her as harshly as she's judging me. So unconditional loving, unconditionally loving goes uh, across lines. I, you know, even I can't just sit in my righteousness 
and say, you should have to accept me. It's like, I have to really, really be open and say that, you know, allow them and say, and love them regardless. Yeah. All right. All right, my friends, if you, if right there, pause that section, rewind it, listen to yeah. it again every single day. Cause this is, this is such a key. I mean, for us dads, like I hear that a lot, like, Oh, I have unconditional love. I'm like, yeah. I hear what you're saying, but your actions right. are matching that, right? Yeah. It's like it yeah. is conditional if they perform in school or they perform in their sports or they do or they tell you they love you every day or they're not arguing with you. It's like those are the moments that really test your condi yeah. conditions upon your love, right? Is it truly right. conditional or not? Um right. so so with that, and I love this so much, when you when you sh okay, Chelsea's the day Chelsea's born, tell me about that experience. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, well, just a, just a little bit about your, <laughs> your thing about um, kids and unconditional. It's like they will they will give you the opportunity to mm. test every one of your you know of your tenants, of your beliefs, everything, which in such a good way because mm. it really makes you question and and understand yourself. You can't just say you know, this is who I am and I'm unconditionally loving and stuff like that. They're going to challenge to prove it, you know, in their own little innocent way and just what their behaviors are. So I think that's so great. You know, uh, it's, it's, there's no other relationship that I think you have that potential of really knowing yourself, you it's, know? So I, it's almost as if they put a mirror in front of you too. Absolutely. Because because a lot of times they they show behaviors, traits, and stuff that we we are displaying constantly, and they're just parroting it, mirroring it. So it is. Absolutely. It's like so when we almost get frustrated, we have to stop and say, "That's an that's an attribute, a skill, or whatever I have that I need to do." Right. Right, a behavioral exactly. element. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And it's having that openness, which is really hard. That self reflection mm. that can be feel so punitive. It's like yeah. not not me, you know. But they, but but it's so it's wonderful because you know it's something that you know it's it's a being that you love more than you love anything that you've ever felt you could love, and they're giving you the you know the 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 feedback mm -hmm. that you need, and it's really it's it's you got to take it, and it and it's not always easy, but it's <laughs> but it's good. So so that's just my aside. But what, what your question was about the day she was born, yes. it was it was morale. I mean, there's two days. The day that, because we had three attempts to have the IVF and the first one didn't take, and we were devastated because we were just used to our life was whatever we wanted just kind of came and we were given anything we wanted. You know, we were kind of like, you know, um, unconsciously, you know, uh, uh, arrogant. And um, and so when it didn't happen, we were devastated. It was it was a very difficult day. And then we said, okay, we're going to do, you know, we got to do one more. We had enough embryos that we could do another attempt without doing another uh, egg retrieval. And then that one didn't happen. It was like, oh my God. And so my, my dentist and my cousin were kind of waning, like how many times are we going to do this? And so I, I, and I just in my head just convinced, well, just one more time, just one more time, you know, we had to get another egg retrieval and stuff. But in the back of my head, I thought, I'm just going to convince them one more time. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to convince them one more time. But they didn't need <laughs> to know that. They didn't need to know. So, so then the third attempt was in October. I remember October 15th was when she was got pregnant because we put it, you kind of know these days <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And when they came back within the two weeks or whatever it is, and she came back with her human growth hormone was off the charts. Mm -hmm. That moment was like astounding for me. It's like I saw angels and choirs because I knew it was going to happen. So that was my first kind of a miraculous moment. And then the second is obviously the day she was born and we're all in the, the delivery room, my cousin, myself and Dennis and Dennis's sister, and we're all there and the baby was born and it was just, it, it was beyond. And I mean, and I think that this is the most interesting part about it is I think once we were pregnant, Dennis was a little bit like, Oh, dear Lord, what have we done? Uh, I'm not sure that I want this. He wasn't really a kid person. I'm more like kids and old people love me. He was more, I he didn't know what to do with our nieces and nephews. He's like, ah, and then, and then he's like, why did I agree to this? And then we found out during the process, we wanted to know the gender. So we found out that she was a girl. And he then, once he's kind of accepted we were having a baby, it was like, I want, I want the baby. I wanted a boy. I want an heir. He was doing all these kind of typically masculine, I want an heir. And, and, and so it was like shocking. And he actually went into a depression thinking, it's a girl. What am I going to do? I don't know. So he was going through all this tumult. And then even the day of the, the birth, he was went to work. And I went to the hospital and they were inducing labor. And so, so I was there for quite a long time. And then her water broke and I called him up and I said, you know, you got to get down here. He said, I'm just going to do a little more work. And it's like, no, we are having a baby. You get down here now. It turned out to be a very long labor, but he came down to the hospital. So he was very reluctant. Mm-hmm. So the baby came out and I held her and it was just and my cousin and we're all crying and it was wonderful. And Dennis was kind of sitting back there and the doctor said to her, said to him, Dennis, you can hold her. And he said, I can. And she said, yeah. Um, so he took her and he looked at me and he said, can I feed her? And I said, yeah, of course. So he gave her the first bottle and we actually have that picture. And I said it was like the Grinch where his heart grew three sizes that day, two or three sizes, whatever. He, his life went from black and white to technicolor. He was just smitten. He mm. never loved anything. So, and it's never changed. It is like that at 29 years old, he is still his baby and she is the love of his life. You know, mm. I wish I was, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but so, so I think that was the most interesting thing about the day she was born was like how it affected him. I mean, he just, it, it changed his life and everything turned around and it, it was just the most, it was very miraculous. Oh man. See, this is the stories. Like, I feel like, like this is exactly what people need to hear in the sense of not that everyone's birth story is going to be the same, you know, I mean, mine was very different. I, I, I have a acting background. So mine Mm -hmm. was very thinking in the, in the movie-esque moment that like, I was going to be tears are coming out. I would have been, I would have been elated and and, you know, doves are flying in the background and it it was opposite because I wanted Mm -hmm. kids for so long and that moment happened and it was almost like, oh, like I hadn't processed it the other way. Yeah. Like, oh, and oh. I went into like, is the house safe? Is every and like total opposite, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We brought our first son home, and I'm like yeah. cleaning the house, and my wife jokes about. It. She's like, she's like, you were just moving and moving yeah. things around, and I was like, I was just in this like panic yep. state almost you know? right right well because it is you're so responsible it's the one oh. thing you like i am responsible for another life and that mm-hmm. is 
crazy. So I think you probably went into this protective dad mode, which you didn't, you thought, you know, you were going to be directing a movie and you ended up, you know, like in the movie kind of going like, oh my God, I'm playing the part of the protector. So, you know, it's, so I, but it's totally understandable because you become, there's nothing that, that would get in the way. And I say, you know, it is the only relationship on the planet where you have the opportunity for instantaneous unconditional love it's the only relationship you know with spouses and family and friends parents even that's a that's it's more conditional and it takes more time and it's still you know it still can be you know very unconditionally loving but a kid is just it's instantaneous just like you said you immediately went into responsibility mode because you feel this love like you've never felt for anything in your life. And it's like, and I have to take care of them. So it's scary. It's like all in one, you know, motion. You're like overwhelmed and scared. Yeah. So do you I feel like it. after Chelsea was born, do you feel you and Dennis had a, a great support group or how did you feel like that went mm -hmm. after? Yeah. It well, you know, we expected, you know, we discussed it before we actually started the process. We said, you know, sh is this really right? Are we cuz this kid's going to have a lot of judgment, you know, having two gay dads and stuff like this. So is it, should we really do this? And then we kind of thought, well, you know, every kid has a challenge. They're all different, but yeah. every kid has a challenge and I said, you know, this will be her challenge. So we'll have to see. So we kind of anticipated 50% of the people were going to have a problem. So we just kind of decided that's that's what we were going to have to deal with. But amazingly, from our family on out, it was it people were astounded. Like we would tell them the story of how we had her, and uh, people we had people crying. You know, flight attendants were just like showering us with gifts and flowers, and it was it was so the opposite of what we really thought. And we so literally there were very few people. There were instances that we had mostly religious people that that had problems dennis had i know i know shouldn't it should, shouldn't religion be a little more loving but um i know i don't know right just yeah, saying i know just saying i mean i don't know i thought that's what it was set up for but that's okay Not, yeah who knows what do i know we'll figure yeah. it out oh yeah whatever yeah whatever so um but but we you know we had some clients leave because that I can't you know I can't deal with this and blah 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 so you know we had that but I have to say for the most part from our families that just thought it was the second coming because I mean my dad in particular who had a little trouble with me coming out then thought it was a shame because I wasn't going to have kids when mm -hmm. I finally had a kid he thought okay this is Jesus for God's sakes it's like he was just. <laughs> overwhelmed because it's like it was just like the miracle baby so so we had we did literally have so much support and so much love we always felt buoyed and held up and when we i mean we live in malibu california so it's not a bastion of right-wing ideology so like when we went to the malibu jewish center for um preschool they were just, they loved us. You know, everybody was very open. It's like, you know, it's a much more liberal area. So, so, but we did, we really did feel that we had quite the support and quite the love. Yeah. It was wonderful. That's so good. So yeah, now I gotta, so we're going to switch it a little bit. What have yeah. been some of the hardest challenges you think as a dad raising Chelsea would have been some of those moments that you're like this is such a challenge <laughs> yeah well I think I think that 
parenting is universal. That's what we've learned by this. <laughs> if you're a parent, it is exactly the same, you know, issues for every single parent on the planet. And we can prove that because we're different parents and we had the same one. So our issues were, you know, she wouldn't give up her pacifier. It's like, oh my God, she's going to become Jeffrey Dahmer. I cannot take the pacifier out of her mouth. You know, it's like, what is going on? You know, the discipline issues. And it's wow. like, you know, we, I was, I was very, I'm the discipline, I'm the hard disciplinarian. Really? And then, oh dear Lord, yes, I am like the tough guy. And Dennis is the indulgent daddy's girl, you know, he'll give her anything. So, you know, it, so it was a good balance, but but it's but it was those things like questioning the questioning of am I doing the right thing you know do, what, what do we do you know from what food do we feed her to what how do you sleep her she would come and get in our bed for a very long time does you know should should you know and there and every you know uh, there's a there's a uh, an opinion about every single thing where people say yes no and all that kind of stuff and so I, finally I kind of came up with why is there not one book. You know, why is there not one book that can just tell you what to do? Because that, I think that was the hardest thing. What do we do? I don't know. You're questioning everything. And then I realized every kid is different and every parent is different. So there's no way to say this is how it has to go because it, it's, it depends on who, you know, who's the players. Mm -hmm. So you can't have one book because every kid has a different issue. If you look in one family with multiple kids, which I'm sure you understand, they're very different. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, sometimes they need to be dealt with differently. So, but I think that was the biggest challenge. I mean, I think as when she was young, that was, what do we do? That just like, what do we do? And I, and take that book. What do you expect the first year? Throw that out mm -hmm. because Oh my God, you know, it was like she didn't turn over at six months. I thought, oh, dear God, geez, you know, it's like I thought something's wrong with her. Something, you know, she's not, she's not okay. So it, because kids don't follow that, you yeah. know, it's like what Einstein didn't speak till he's three years old. So you don't yeah. know, you know, you don't know. So I think that was the biggest challenge when she was younger. I think when she got older, I mean, which the challenges get more intense because, mm -hmm. you know, she's going through teenage years and what she goes through and her rejections and her, you know, you know, and she did, wasn't really, she didn't act out a lot. I mean, she never did kind of the real, the big separation, re, you know, rebellion thing. So we didn't have that to deal with, but, but I also think it was the outside world was hard for her and for us when all the prop eight stuff happened. So then that was like, why are they against me? Chelsea just felt very wow. like, why is people, why are people attacking my family? So I think those were the biggest challenges, but I mean, discipline, I think number one is the mm -hmm. hardest thing, what to do, you know, how, how strong, uh, what, you know, what do you have to do? So, um, but I think that was the biggest challenge. Yeah. And isn't it so funny when we do discipline, we feel bad. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. the children, I, I, I genuinely believe it's not that they need discipline, but it's like they they're looking for us to be like, no, that's yeah. not OK. Sometimes they're yeah. looking for us to guide them. Right. And yeah. so it's yeah. like it's but it's I remember every time like I'll go and I'll be like, man, that just. It, it hurt me Sucks. more than it yeah. bothered my kids. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I feel like um, they need to be guided. They need, they need boundaries because yes. otherwise if you're not in control, 
they're going, I guess I'm in control and it's too scary for them, you know? So when she was really young, there was, I think it was just on a radio show. I heard this wonderful kind of interview and this guy, a child psychologist or something was saying, you know, the the scenario of say that you have your kid and you take them to a basketball, an empty basketball arena. And you tell them you can play anywhere in the seats. You know, there may be three or four. You play anywhere in the seats, but do not cross that line onto the court. That's the only rule. Do not cross the line onto the court. So he said a three or four year old, what they're going to do, immediately go right down to that line, look back at you, make sure you're watching and step over it to see what you're going to do. And if you don't do something, they will never trust you. So it's like because you did not follow through. So. I think, you know, that was really good advice because when I drew a line, like you said, it's so horrible most of the time. But if you drew a line, I kept it. I never. And sometimes I was the one crying in bed because like, why did I draw the line there? Why am I putting my kid through this? But it was so important, I felt, for her to understand that I'm taking care of her. You know, even if it's a discipline, I'm taking care of you. I'm I'm guiding you, you know. And so it it's it's a huge challenge the discipline thing but but they do need it they need those boundaries cuz otherwise they don't know what's going on you know absolutely so what i want to do is i want to ask you one of these questions cuz i think it's so much fun um yeah. and i'm just going to hold them up and randomly you just tell me when to stop stop okay right here there's there's been okay. no no card manipulation, my friends. <laughs> so yeah, um, you did get my note about I want that card, right? Oh my gosh, are you ready for the, this? Was oh my okay. gosh, you're gonna love this. One. Okay, so I'm okay. gonna do it to you here, and then I'll, I'm gonna read it. Oh, out. oh dear lord! Okay. I know. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And I think no, this, this is important good. that dads don't talk yeah. about, right? So yeah, how has your sex life changed since becoming a dad? Well, it's gotten better since she's an adult. But <laughs> you know, but yes. before it was it was pretty intense. I mean, it's you're first of all you're exhausted, mm-hmm. you know. So then, even if you have time or have privacy, it's it's hard to feel like oh, I just want to go to sleep. So that you know, so so there's Absolutely. that that element. But um, it you know it became much more structured. Uh, we had we had you know when she was. Um, Three. This may be more information than you need, but when she was three years old, we were just kind of um, at each other because we're not going to take it out on her, but we were so tired and stressed. We were kind of at each other. So we said, we need some help. So we went to this amazing therapist. So she set us up and said, first of all, you have to have one night for yourselves. You have to have a date night. And it was the greatest advice. So from that point on, we had one night a week where we would go out and then, and then actually we had this wonderful kind of part-time nanny that would stay over on Friday nights and take care of Chelsea. So we had Friday night, date night, all the way to Saturday morning. So we had all that time. Oh, so wow. that was crucial for us because you forget your relationship. Your kid becomes everything and you forget each other. So, so we had to manipulate the, the situation so that we had time, you know, for to, to have, you know, to be intimate and have those kind of things because you don't want to forget your partner. I mean, you know, they're, they're so important to, to number one, to each other, but it's so important for your child to see it as an example of what a loving relationship is. So you need to honor each other and, and have time for each other and, and celebrate that. So, so it did, but now it's like, yeah, no, well now we're old and free so <laughs> you're all, you, got, you got grown babies you're good to go yeah <laughs> you're good to go yeah yeah i love yeah. that so much one of the fine the final question i like to ask 
Sure. Is when Chelsea looks back, you know, because I think about this when I when I've passed, and when you when you and Dennis have passed, what do you want Chelsea to remember most about you as a dad? Mm. That that she was loved, unconditional love. That 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 no one could have cared or loved for her more. You know, it's like I think that's you want those feely things. That's what, you know, I was watching some TV show last night and they were just talking about it doesn't matter about anything. It's like what it's your relationships and how you feel. So I think that's what I would want her to take. I would want her to take a, an impression of that I loved her, yes. you know, so much and that she was always loved and supported. And I think that's what I would love for her. That would be the memory I would hope that she had. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for not only sharing these amazing stories, being vulnerable, opening up, helping the audience that's going to listen to this, the dads that are going to be able to relate to you, to your story and helping them feel like they have someone in their community now they can just listen to and resonate with. So I, I appreciate you so much for coming on this show. It's been it's been an honor and it's been very fun connecting with you. Oh, Thomas, you're just the best. I had the best time. You're such a sweet soul. And it's just been, it's been a joy. So I really appreciate it. And I'm honored that you asked me to be here. So thank you. What an incredible episode. If you found value of what Kevin was saying, make sure you connect with him. Also, if you like this content, sharing is truly caring, my friend. So keep it going. I love you all. Thanks for being part of the dadhood. Peace.